So I kind of seem to have a continuing theme going on here. I want to pick up on where I left off last week and carry on next week as well. (laughs) So last week I I was talking about how we get tangled up in um, really what are superficial layers and explanations of experience, our psychology and, and our history. And, and, and these, these layers are very interesting, you know, that has to be said. And um, exploring them is not without value. Uh, you know, especially this is true, I think, if um, w- w- what maybe what our past is has been, carries a lot of pain with it or we have difficulties with certain uh, ways that we are, things like this. So the, the, the force of these kinds of um, moods or uh, the, the pain that's associated with our, our history and our psychology can be such that, you know, it, it, it merits exploration. We, you don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater kind of thing. But, but ultimately, we, we want to um, get our examination of experience to a much more refined level. This is what meditation is about. It really isn't going into things at this level. It's trying to get things to the level of phenomena and looking at it much more closely like that. And so this just means, as we were saying last week, seeing sensation, feeling, and thought, and as I like to say, learning to leave it at that. You know, finding a, a way to just let the experience be at those levels and, and not build the world around what's going on with everything. So in this short circus, the, the highly conditioned tendency to begin to relate to experience from this um, vantage point of me, myself and I, you know, this is it's the, the, the world, our experience very quickly in very short order becomes all about I, me, mine, doesn't it? And so that we're trying to uh, find a way to, to cut through that, to, to short-circuit that tendency. In the unawakened state, we take it all very personally. <laughs> it's all, it's all uh, about me. So we think that we are this body and mind. You know, that's, that's uh, the, the sense of it. I mean, until you practice, that's, that's the way it, it is, isn't it? You know, that's, this is my mind, my thoughts, my ideas, my patterns. This is my body, this is who I am, this is me. Um, and so whatever happens in the body or the kinds of things that, that arise in the mind can easily become um, experiences that are going to exalt us and lift us up if they're going the way we think they should be going, if we like the way they are, you know, or diminish or deflate us if we don't like it, you know, if, if, if there's something that uh, we're finding fault with in it. And, you know, I don't know about you, but certainly my experience of life before practice was that it was just this huge roller coaster ride. You know, you just had to go up and down with it all because the, the mind was holding things in such um, uh, ways of evaluating experience as good and bad and me being good and bad along with it. So, you know, as I was saying last week, the, the four foundations of mindfulness, practicing and meditation, is a, is a way of helping us cut through all of that. 
you know, it, and I just love it. I just love that sutta. <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a brilliant technology that the Buddha is laying out, you know, so much so that, as, as I was saying last week, you don't even have to know how it's working or what it's doing. You just have to apply it, and it will begin to take us to the places where the Buddha is, is wanting us to go. And, but, uh, and I like that. You know, this is a very uh, simple uh, categorization into, of experience into sensations, feelings, and thoughts, and uh, the insights that come from observing those. But there's another um, model that the Buddha offers that you, know, you can't help but see the parallels between it and the four foundations of mindfulness. And, and this is his teaching on the, the five aggregates. So it, it, it ends up being a slightly more complex model where you know, rather than just sensation, feeling, and thought, the Buddha is pointing to uh, the body, an attachment to the body, to feeling, to perception, to um, mental states, moods, mental formations, as it's called, and to consciousness itself. So it's, it's, it, it's a more complex model. It's kind of like putting a little more flesh on the bone, breaking experience down uh, a little bit more specifically. But it, it, it's still just the body and mind. It's still just nama rupa, you know, it's, uh, that, that's all that we're looking at. But we're pointing our attention to the direct observation of the body and the mind. And, and this model uh, of the five aggregates, it's really uh, directing us towards um, seeing experience as each of these, you know, learning to discern um, different aspects of experience according to these, these particular five categories. But, but also seeing how we cling to these and how that clinging constitutes our suffering. You know, the Buddha gets at this right away. I mean, the very first sutta that he gives, the very first teaching that he gives, the, the teaching on the Four Noble Truths, you know, uh, right, right out of the gate, if you will, he says, uh, you know, he's defining suffering in the First Noble Truth. And part of his definition is uh, identification with or attachment to uh, these five, uh, what he calls the five focuses of the grasping mind. <laughs> you know, this is, this is where all the, the attention's going. And, and through practice, um, what we're doing actually is learning to just re- release the, the grip that we have on our experience at these levels. And there's a lot to it. You know, I'm of a mind to think that you could just work with the, the five aggregates all your, your whole practice life. And, and uh, still, there would be a lot to learn about what's going on uh, at these levels and what the Buddha is pointing to um, in this particular teaching. So obviously, I can't um, get at it all in, in one evening. But I thought I could at least start and, and look at some of what goes on with attachment to the body and some of what goes on uh, with attachment to feeling and, and see if it can be a, a, sort, a, a support for you in, in your practice. Because really what we're getting at here is, uh, if we can see this, see uh, our experience and how we're glomming onto it, and uh, stop being so mesmerized by it all, break the, the spell, if you will, um, you know, what, what you find, and I know you, you experience this uh, in your own practice, you, you begin to find that you're just a lot happier. You know? Life gets a lot lighter and easier because we, we've cut through this, uh, the intensity and density of this experience of grasping. So, 
Just to, just to start a little bit with, I'm kind of going to work with these together because there's so much. Uh, you know, one of the things about models is it's, it's hard to, um, you know, you, you, there's sort of artificial classifications of experience. You know, you're looking at different aspects of, of what we go through in our daily lives. But uh, really, it's kind of all happening at once. And so it's, it's, sometimes it's hard to talk about them um, as isolated experiences. A, a number of years ago, when, um, when I was in Thailand, Thailand we had the um, opportunity to meet a, a number of nuns and monks who were purported to be free. And uh, it's quite an experience to be able to um, receive teachings from them. And uh, we had the opportunity on many occasions to ask questions, to talk to them about uh, their, their practice and their, their understanding, uh, and seek guidance with our own practice. Well, one, uh, one uh, monk that we met in the, in the south of Thailand, uh, you know, we, we were, he was giving us a wonderful day sonata and talked about a number of things. But, but at the end of it, um, we, when we were asking questions, somebody asked, um, what was the most difficult part of waking up? <laughs> what was the most difficult part in your own practice for you? I thought it was great. I was so glad she asked it, you know. And, and he, he, he answered... Um, and this actually surprised me very much. His answer was attachment to the body. And I went, whoa, <laughs> I didn't see that, that one coming, you know? I mean, uh, who knew? <laughs> you know, and I, and I guess really on, on reflection, I was aware that uh, in my own practice, I, I had spent so much time, so many countless hours, just trying to distance myself from moods and, and mind states. And, Trying to overcome uh, difficult patterns of, of mind, that that I have thought I'd have thought this was going to be the most difficult thing. You know, there's just no question in my mind that that was going to be the, the his answer, but but it wasn't. It wasn't about the mind. It was a, it was about attachment to the body, and, and uh, you know. So maybe for me, this would be the most difficult part. Uh, I don't know, but but just hearing his answer. I, I, it turned me in the direction of the body in a way that I hadn't before. You know that uh, I guess I had to consider the the possibility that um, all of the attachment that I had seen in the mind might not be so much the the issue here. You know that at, at the very least, what his response and, and my thinking about it helped me do is is just stop being so fixated on the mind and mind states and and moods and, and things that I was trying to overcome that maybe I should, you know, pan back and, and look at a bigger picture. You know, there, there, there's more to uh, freeing the mind than, than I was aware. At least I considered this. And, and, and uh, I kept coming back to what he said, you know, and, and considering the possibility that I really hadn't given uh, attachment to the, to the body its due. Before coming to practice, um, I realized I hadn't really uh, been very good at noticing the body with any semblance of non-attachment. You know, certainly one took care of it, you know, one fed it and clothed it and kept it clean and did all nice things for it. 
But, you know, all along, it's very clear to me that it was me I was taking care of, you know. This is me. This is my body. But, but with practice, we're um, encouraged to, to just pick up this as a theme. You know, consider the ways, uh, the experience of the body and the ways that we're relating to it and, what, uh, and contemplate um, attachment to the body. So the, the obvious things that, um, you know, come up or the way that we react to things like uh, sickness, aging, and death. And, um, you know, a number of you have been sick recently, and it's, it's interesting to notice what goes on in the way that we're relating uh, around that particular experience. You know, I, I've noticed that, uh, for example, it, it's not often the case that one is uh, dealing with being sick after having fully embraced the fact of sickness, <laughs> you know, and the fact that this is what the body does, that it goes with the, the territory of having a body, you know, very, at very subtle levels, and maybe not so subtle levels, you know, we're trying to get rid of the sickness, you know, that's, and that's what we're, uh, that's the, the mood in the mind as we're dealing with the body when it's sick. You know, it's interesting to, to be aware of, because this is what I think the, this monk was pointing This is part of attachment to the body. That's one of the ways that that, that kind of uh, attachment manifests. Or, you know, we, we tend to, uh, we can put off contemplating aging and death for quite some time. <laughs> you know, uh, my, my good Dhamma friend and I were talking about this uh, not so long ago, and you know, realize, just commenting that, you know, that the body stays, it seems to stay pretty much the same, even through, through a lot of adulthood, you know, through the 20s, the 30s, the 40s. You find even in your 40s, you can behave like a 20-year-old, you know, you can do a lot of the, the things that you, you did back then. And, and uh, so the, the whole experience of the body as uh, something that is aging and moving towards death is, is not so in your face, you know, it's... It, it, but then, you know, when you hit the 50s, <laughs> it's kind of, it kind of moves center stage and kind of comes on to the, to the, to the front burner. And, you know, we were, I guess we were kind of looking for some of the good things about it, you know, <laughs> just realizing that we're, we're definitely becoming old ladies, you know, and, and what the experience of that was. But um, one of the, uh, the things that actually made me happy was to consider the, the fact that well, that, that one had lived long enough, you know, to have aging and death be so in your face. You know, there's, it, it, it's, there's no avoiding it at some point. It's definitely moving to the, to the front burner. And um, one makes a, the effort to just kind of face these realities, and hopefully with, with some semblance of wisdom and understanding. But, but even with the, the wisdom that comes with years and uh, that comes with, with practice, you know, my, my friend and I had to admit that, uh, if, we're, if we're honest, it, it really took uh, every bit of 10 years to uh, come to some semblance of peace with it. And one, one can't say one has fully arrived yet, you know. But just to, to be able to open and to uh, let it in, to allow, this is actually happening, you know. You're becoming an old lady, an old man, and, and there's no avoiding it. 
There's nothing to be done about it. As I said, every bit of 10 years easily. Now, not an easy 10 years either. You know, because if we're contemplating these realities, then um, it's often the case that you just kind of walk around on a, regular, on a daily basis with this just subtle nausea in your gut. You know, ooh, <laughs> it really is true. This really is happening. You know, that, that kind of feeling. Or even at wor- or worse, a, a feeling of, of uh, sort of dread and fear. Can, can loom very large as we, as we move into the 50s and 60s, 60s, and I'm sure 70s. And uh, for myself, I, I found this to be especially true because um, my parents had passed away. And you get, this, you get this feeling like, you know, once they're gone, it's like, whoa. <laughs> you know, the, 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 uh, the foot soldiers are gone. Now I'm on the front line, you know. Uh, you have to move up, and you're the you're the next to to, to cross over. You know, so so it, the the idea is to contemplate it um, and to be aware of what's going on uh, with the body and and try to uh, receive it and open to it. But otherwise, I mean, the the alternatives are not very attractive. You know, you may have been with people who who were dying and not coping very well with that experience. I remember I was with somebody who was just quite bewildered by it all. Couldn't believe it was happening to her, you know. It's like, whoa. And, and being with somebody who's uh, passing in that way really wakes you up. You know, you want to be able to work through uh, whatever it is that we're calling attachment to the body in a way such that as these passages that we go through take place, there's not a lot of added suffering. It's, it's a difficult enough situation as it is. So these are some of the obvious ways that we work with the body and attachment to the body. And as I said, we often, we often think about these. I, that's, I don't want to give too much time to it, but... Uh, but rather move to um, look at uh, a whole other area that maybe um, one might not give as much attention to. And this has to do with um, uh, zeroing in on the experience of, of what's going on with the five uh, physical senses. So we, we work to be aware as meditators of seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, uh, touching, all of these, and, and, and try to um, be with it in the same way that we've talked about with the foundations of mindfulness. Try to try to uh, see it as such and, and learn to leave it at that. So we, we want to be fully aware of what's going on uh, at each of the sense doors and, and to, to hold that with enough equanimity uh, in the mind such that um, we can offset this flurry of activity that takes place in the mind at the point of sensory contact, uh, such, such that we, we move into these uh, sensory experiences and glom onto them. Um, and, and the forms that that glomming on takes is that we long for more, we resist, or we just check out. So the, the Buddhist uh, teachings are encouraging us to be aware 
of what's going on at the sense doors and to leave it at that. <laughs> to just be aware of what's happening and um, leave, it, leave what's happening at the sense door. And, you know, I like that. It's a, it's a nice idea, <laughs> isn't it? Just, no, just, just be aware of what's happening at the sense realm and uh, don't do anything with it, you know. Good luck. <laughs> it's, all, it's all happening so fast, isn't it? It's all moving so quickly that it, it's hard just to, to slow it down to that point, to be able to, to glom in and know that right now there is seeing, right now there is hearing, right now I'm aware of the smells coming from the kitchen, and, and just to, to leave it at that. And so that's really why we go on retreat, is to isolate it and, and, and get our seeing to that kind of a refined level. You know, everybody here has enough wisdom and understanding to know the value of putting yourself in this kind of environment. And a lot of it has to do with being able to see more precisely what in the heck is going on here, what's going on at, at each of the, of the sense doors. And without um, insight, we, we tend to go about uh, our lives in, in this world with, with a kind of a, a weird relationship with the senses. You know, there's, a, there, there's what we want to let in and what we don't want in. You know, there's a, there's a sense of wanting to be only with sounds that we like or only with, with sights that we find uh, attractive. You know, Sky's example the, the other night of practicing in Asia where the, the people had to deal with market noises, you know, and, and how that could be an interference, quote unquote, for them in their practice. Because they don't want, I don't want those kinds of sounds. I want these kinds of sounds. I don't want those kinds of smells. I want these kinds of smells. That kind of thing. And how, how that uh, easily, the, um, we're, we're developing this, this sort of uh, at odds relationship with, what, with our, what is actually our experience at any given time. And I, I really got this uh, in my face very early on in my own practice, where um, it, I was on my, my very first three-month retreat, and uh, I was feeling very good because I had arrived early enough to um, stake out my turf on the platform. You, some of you have been around for a long time, you know, there used to be a platform in the front of the room and right in front of the teachers, you know. So if you, if you got there, it was kind of like the expensive seats, you know, <laughs> or the orchestra or something like that. And, you, and, and you, got, you, know, you got to be real close to where the action was, you know. So uh, I used to try to, to get, on the, get that space, you know, and, and uh, have this intimate uh, spot. And so I was feeling really good, feeling a bit smug. And, and uh, so went to the, the first sitting, you know, the evening, the opening night. And uh, I discovered in very short order that I sat next to this guy who um, had, was using these styrofoam, styrofoam blocks to support his knees. And he had like two under each knee. You know, and then, and it didn't take long, you know, before one began to see that he, he had a huge amount of restlessness. And so he was constantly fidgeting and fussing. 
and adjusting these blocks, you know, one, one moment to the next during every single sitting, you know. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> do you have any idea what styrofoam rubbing against styrofoam sounds like? <laughs> It was horrible. It was just horrible. And it went on day in and day out. It was just every single sitting. You know, there's nothing to be done about it. And so, you know, I was determined to keep my good seat and determined to, to work with this state, you know, this guy and these sounds. And, uh, and so I hung in there. I mean, I really, I really gave it the old college try. I have to, I have to say, I, I hung in there beyond what was reasonably expected, you know. <laughs> uh, and I'd love to be able to report that I, I conquered all the aversion that I felt, <laughs> you know, sitting next to him, or, or that the, the mind was uh, still enough to, to do that, you know. But uh, hey, it was my first three-month retreat, you know. <laughs> it's good enough just to hang in with it and work my edge as, as, long, as, I, as long as I could. I, I tried. I really, really tried. But eventually I got up and moved. <laughs> and somehow I felt very reassured when uh, I told the teacher about it. And I sort of went, went to her sort of embarrassed and my tail between my legs, I had to move. I couldn't take it anymore. She said, I would have moved weeks ago. <laughs> so I thought, well, okay. But a lot's going on in that kind of stuff, isn't it? Anyway, you know, you, you are wearing down the, the way that the mind resists and um, doesn't want to be with things uh, that it finds unattractive. So there's a, there's a very limited range within uh, which the, the human body can survive and operate. You know, we're actually very vulnerable people, very vulnerable as human beings. And it, it can't endure sounds and temperatures and uh, things like this beyond um, a, a certain range, beyond that range. And, and we have to know this. And that and knowing this, we become very good stewards for the body. You take care of it. You do what you can. You know, if you work in a noisy environment, you wear earplugs. You do, do things like this to, to save it, to protect it. But really, short of, of these kinds of extremes, uh, the, the Buddha is pointing to a way of being with things, like sounds and smells, with enough equanimity, not like what I had, <laughs> but with enough equanimity to, to just offset the longing and the resistance that rises up so quickly out of um, the, uh, the experience of the physical senses. And we have to know that ultimately that is possible. <laughs> Even if at any given moment you can't do it. You know, you, we have our good days, we have our bad days. And uh, we mature into being able to receive uh, what's going on at the sense doors with the kind of equanimity that, that, that uh, makes it possible for the mind not to move, <laughs> you know, not to have anything to say about it, to do about it, or to grab it, or to resist it in any way. So as we, as we practice, we, we become aware of the whole range of, of ways that we attach to pleasures and pains that are associated with the, the five physical senses, and how quickly 
that attachment uh, will move center stage, how that dominates our experience at any given moment. So sound is a biggie. You know, a lot of people suffer around sounds that they don't want. You know, around here people suffer around scents that they don't want. You know, we try to keep the scents down. And, uh, but for, for many of us, taste and flavors are a big one. So that, um, you know, it, it's not so easy as practitioners to, um, to just to stay with the simple experience of eating. You know, to, to nourish the body, to do what we need to do to sustain the body. It, it's not so easy to, to stay with that close to the sense doors. So that, that, that means that while we're eating, there's, a, there's, there's seeing, there's smelling, there's tasting. And that's uh, the totality of the experience. We're trying to glom in or, or to, tune in to experience at those levels. It's, it's, it's difficult. It can be difficult at times. Yeah, the mind has to get quite still. You know, I can't tell you how many people uh, report that when it comes to meal time, <laughs> you know, it, it's all, all bets are off. <laughs> that really, basically, what goes on in, in, the, in the dining hall is that we just um, lose that sense of uh, observing, uh, tuning, because the, the pleasure or the uh, promise of pleasure with food can be so great that um, uh, we, we just kind of go into override. Or uh, for some people, it's the anxieties about not getting enough. And so the whole experience is positioning oneself and making sure that you're in line at the right time and, and the right place to, to be able to uh, feed ourselves. So, but, but, you know, the Buddha is saying that we want to be able to stay close to the sense doors, as close to the sense doors as possible. And he, he helps us in a, in a number of ways just to unpack everything that's going on there, to see if we can uh, fine-tune our observing and, and know what's going on there. So one of the things that I find helpful that he talks about is that um, he, he notes that there's a, there's a specific sense consciousness that's associated with each of the five physical senses. So that you, got, you have uh, seeing consciousness, hearing consciousness, smelling consciousness, tasting consciousness, like this. And this is all very, very, very specific. So that um, each um, form of the uh, physical sense consciousness is associated only with that particular uh, sense. Right, so what what you have then is that you, you don't uh, you don't know tasting uh, through the ear, you know you don't know uh, seeing through the tongue. It, it's not happening that way. There's there's a very specific consciousness that's associated with each of the the five senses, but um, the mind mind consciousness knows it all. It's aware of what's going on with all of the the senses, including itself, which is pretty fascinating when you consider it. Um, so uh, what's happening here, or one of the ways that it's explained that really was very, very helpful to me, is to see that um, th- this mind consciousness kind of being in on the act, if you will, is, um, is kind of an open door for feelings and, and thoughts around sense objects. And so this happens so quickly 
that the, the sight of food or the smell of food or the taste of food uh, quickly moves into the mind door and the, the relationship becomes one of feeling or thinking about food, uh, about the particular sense. Uh, and, and so the, uh, the, the, the leap from that to indulging in it is a very short one. <laughs> you know, and, and uh, you know, I was listening to a talk of Bhikkhu Bodhi's not long ago and he, he was saying that you, know, that you watch and see that the, 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 the movement from contact to indulging <laughs> is happening so quickly that you don't even notice the contact and often don't even notice the feeling associated with the contact. It just goes boom, you know. It, it's just, the, the movement is so fast. And in, in a finger snap, we're, we're no longer seeing or, or tasting, but uh, now we're just captivated by the whole thing. It's interesting to note, I think the, the point that um, this teaching is making here is that the, the eyes and the nose and the tongue, they can't be captivated. <laughs> it's not possible. That's not the function. That's not the way that they, they behave. It, it's only the mind that does that. And, and if we know that, then we, we can get a leg up. <laughs> And uh, so to try to bypass that and get close as we can to the direct experience of that, the, the five physical senses. So we're trying to point the mind to, as close as we can to the point of contact at all of the sense doors. And, and with good reason. There's a lot can happen from that. You know, for, my, for myself, one of the, uh, I would say, you know, even to this day, one of the most significant experiences I had in meditation that um, shifted a whole lot for me was it really took, it took place during one of the um, three-month retreats where I was just sitting in the dining hall and eating and I was using mental noting at the time and uh, trying to uh, notice tasting and nail tasting and <laughs> get as close as I could to that direct experience. And um, it happened. And, and, and it was so powerful because in the moment when uh, my, my whole experience just kind of merged with tasting consciousness, it was like the, the sense of, of somebody who is doing the tasting fell away. And, and the sense even of the tongue uh, that is the recipient of the flavors fell away. And the totality of the experience for a few moments, and it is sustained for a few moments, was just tasting consciousness. <laughs> just, just the direct, very direct experience of tasting itself and nothing else. Which, which was, you know, interesting enough in itself, but w- what was... M- most interesting, I thought, was as, as what caused me to emerge from that was uh, I, I, actually be, I actually witnessed very directly this, this movement of the mind that picked up that experience of tasting and owned it and said, I am tasting. And, and in that movement, just seeing that as precisely as one can, you're actually observing firsthand the formation of self-view. 
and how it picks up what is going on at the sense doors, owns it, claims it as its own, and, and that's where we live. <laughs> I am the one who is having this experience instead of just being in the experience. It's a radically different orientation. And uh, the practice is trying to, to get us. I mean, the, the Buddha talks repeatedly about direct knowledge. You know, what is that? <laughs> it, it's this direct knowing of experience from within the experience, without that movement of the mind, that I-me-mind stuff, that uh, attempts to own it. And when you can see it, when you can watch this happen, uh, it's so apparent that this is the, that the whole sense of self is a distortion. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a tag. It's, it's, get, it's something that's getting added on to experience. Yeah, I, I saw it. I saw it as kind of like a day late and a dollar short. <laughs> Everything just happened. There, there already was tasting, and then came this. I'm tasting. Yeah, which is was isn't anything. <laughs> it's just a, a way of. Um, it's kind of like the mind feeding back to itself what just happened, but it already happened. And, and uh, so the, the practice and the, the, the Buddha is trying to get us to it. You know, find out what that is. It's, uh, it's not that hard to, to see. And uh, the whole world of attachment and glomming on to what's going on at the five physical sense doors can just fall away. <laughs> you just, just be it. You don't have to claim it. And, and own it. So, so, so our task is just to, to see how this is something as simple as eating. You know, it's, it's fascinating. It, it, it's something that's just done to support us so that we can and practice, so that we can make the most out of this life. You know, it becomes very complex and, and convoluted because of the pleasures that accompany the five physical senses and, and our attachment to these. You know, just what's it like to let all that go? It's a, it's a question we, we're, we're actually working with whether we're aware of it or not. You know, but to be honest, you know, for myself, um, when I began to, to realize what the Buddha was pointing to here, I didn't particularly want to go there with him, <laughs> you know. It was like, because uh, he, he seemed to be saying that one needs to get still enough uh, such that pleasure doesn't arise, or such that uh, this preoccupation with pleasure doesn't occur, you know. But but for myself, I've I've always been very fond of sense pleasures, you know. <laughs> I like them. <laughs> And fair enough, I mean, I'm a lay person. You know, we haven't taken on the degree of renunciation that, uh, say, uh, someone who has uh, taken up robes has. And, and nor do we, do we have to particularly, but um, it's important to, cons- to realize that uh, the Buddha isn't saying in any way, shape, size, or form that we need to, to cultivate uh, a state wherein we stop 
experiencing pleasure or pain. I know, I, I mean, I don't know about you, but for a long time I was confused about this. I, I, I thought we were trying to get to some kind of numbed out state, you know, and that, that uh, we're trying to override or get under pleasure such that you, you don't, uh, you don't want to feel it, you don't want to uh, get caught in pleasure and pain in any way. But we're not trying to, we're not trying to do that. You know, that's like, a, you know, this experience, like say you live near an airport or a, a train station or something like that, and how it gets after a while where you just kind of numb out, you don't hear it, you know, you don't hear the sounds anymore. You just kind of uh, numb out from it. But this, this, this is kind of like a, a, a state of being immune uh, to the uh, pains that's associated with it. And that's not what we're trying to do. Because the, the, the truth is, and this is, very interesting to contemplate. The, the truth is that you can't avoid pleasure. You, you, it, it, is, it is completely and utterly unavoidable. The, the Buddha says it arises with uh, the, the, the experience of pleasure, pain, or neither arises with every moment of sense contact, There's the, simultaneously with it. So. That was kind of good news to me, you know, <laughs> because uh, uh, you know you can't avoid it. You're gonna you're, go, you're gonna feel pleasure whether you like it or not, at some point uh, throughout any given day. There's a constant stream of of pleasure, pain, and neither, and so you're gonna feel this, you know. And um, but we can significantly uh, diminish and, and eventually o- overcome the, the attachment that uh, is associated with that. And, and I think what the Buddha is pointing to is that when, as we do this, we actually open up to a, a much greater pleasure. It's like the, the practice is, a, is kind of a movement out of a preoccupation with the, the pleasures that are associated with the sense realm and a movement into a whole nother level. And I remember seeing this one time, I was eating, uh, eating eggplant parmesan, <laughs> one of my favorite foods. And it was just, it was particularly good. It reminded me of one that we used to eat when, when I was little and we were, um, we had a beach house in New, in New Jersey, on the Jersey Shore, and we used to go to this pizza place where, I don't know, man, these, these folks were from Italy and they knew how to cook it. <laughs> And, and uh, nobody made eggplant parmesan like they did until this time recently when I was um, enjoying it. And I had, the, I had this moment where, you, like you do when something's really good, you just kind of sit back and you go, you know, oh man, it doesn't get any better than this. <laughs> you know, oh, this is great. <laughs> that kind of feeling, you know. <laughs> but then right when, I, right when I had that thought, there came this kind of booming voice from the, from the back of, of my mind. And it, it said, oh, yes, it does. <laughs> oh, yeah, it gets a lot better than this. <laughs> But the trick is to, to kind of discover it. You know, one of the monks says uh, I, that uh, the Buddha is uh, the ultimate pleasure seeker. He's trying to move us in the, in the direction of, of uh, the, the pleasure of Nibbana, the pleasure the, that comes with non-grasping, with non-attachment. You know, what's that all about? 
and, and in no uncertain terms. I mean, to me, the, the Buddhist teachings are saying, you know, you want some pleasure? <laughs> now we're talking, you know? Try letting go. Try letting go. And we all get glimpses of it, don't we? When we practice here. You know, I love hearing, hearing your stories and reports of just even, even some little way that one was grasping and then and, and it released. <sighs> it, gets, it, it feels so good. So, we, you know, we, we need to chew on this a bit. Just try, try to come to some understanding for ourselves of, of uh, what we're talking about here. Here's what the Buddha says in one of the, one of the suttas in the Udana. He says, any sensual bliss in the world, any heavenly bliss, any, any bliss that, that one experiences in the Deva realms, in the heavenly realms, isn't worth one sixteenth sixteenth <laughs> of the bliss of the ending of craving. I love that one. I get chew on that one quite a bit. He's pointing us in the direction of, of happiness that um, transcends the five senses, the five physical senses. But it can only uh, be open to us in a way, or the, the possibility, let alone the experience of it, can only be opened up to us as we, as we move away from being so preoccupied with what's going on at the sense doors. And so the, the observing... This is the main, the reason why we're saying tune in at the sense door because that's the only place that you're going to be able to see what it's, what's actually going on there, what all the kerfuffle is all about, what the experience of grasping it is, and what the experience of releasing it is. <laughs> you know? And then from that, uh, knowing the third noble truth, you know, the end of suffering, the releasing of suffering. So just one, one more little uh, bit um, about pleasure and pain. And as I said, next, uh, next week I'll, I'll talk uh, about uh, uh, perception and formations and consciousness. So I just uh, want to uh, address these, um, these two first. So just while we're on the, the, the topic of pleasure, the, the this can, can be a little tedious, so I encourage you to stay, stay with me. But the, the Buddha points to, in one of the suttas, he points to what he calls the 18 kinds of mental exploration. And sometimes I hear these lists and I, <laughs> I just start to zone out immediately because it, they, they can uh, sound a little bit tedious. But this one is particularly helpful, I think, uh, particularly useful. He's, he's encouraging us to to see um, uh, for ourselves that the, um, you know, that really in, in the presence of a quiet mind, uh, we can scrutinize our experience. And this, uh, this word, the mental exploration, is really what he's pointing to is vichara. And vichara is a, a mental faculty, a faculty that makes it possible for us to peruse what is happening. 
who works in companionship with Vitaka. You've probably heard these terms before. So Vitaka is the, the direct attention, direct, directing the attention to what it is that's going on. And, and um, be, the, it's sort of where the scrutinizing begins. You know, the mind turns towards what's happening. And be, in that pointing, if it stays with it, then you have the inrush of um, uh, vichara, which is the, 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 the mental faculty that's sort of getting a sense of what it is. So you know, you, you nail it, and you get a sense of what it is, right? This is the, the these two are working together. It's kind of like uh, sati and uh, uh, investigation. You know, the very very similar pairing that takes place in a lot of the Buddhist teachings. So uh, we're exploring. We're knowing what's happening and exploring what's happening, exploring the experience of it. And what the Buddha is pointing to here is that we name sensory experience. That's the vitaka. And through mental examination, we can know the feeling that arises with each moment of contact. So uh, he's, he, what, what he's referring to as the 18 forms of mental exploration have to do with the uh, experience of um, uh, contact at each of the six sense doors, the five physical senses and the mind, and um, noticing very directly the, experience, the three kinds of feeling that can take place at those sense doors. So you've got um, pleasure, pain, and neither at each of the sense, uh, the six sense doors. And so thus you have the, the 18 kinds of, of mental exploration. So when, when, I, when I first heard this, you know, my, the, the first thought that occurred in my mind was that it was uh, really getting a bit anal, you know. <laughs> it's like, do I, am I really meant to see all of this, you know, to, to pick this up and to, see at, at this level. But on, on further examination, it's, it's, it's a very, very useful teaching. You know, it helps us become aware, first of all, that there really is feeling going on at each of these six sense doors. And it's taking these forms. Yeah? And, and really um, to, to be aware of how much of that we might be missing. Feeling is a, is a critical uh, player in the process of waking up. And, and I guess at some point we have to ask ourselves if we're giving it its due, if we're paying enough attention to the direct experience of feeling such that it can do, that, that knowing or that awareness can, can do its magic on us. Because given what we know about the, the speed with which pleasant feeling becomes longing, and painful feeling becomes aversion or hatred, and, and neither becomes delusion or checking out, you know. And we know that these three, greed, hatred, and delusion, are what constitutes suffering. Then, you know, you start to get the picture of what's going on here. This is this being tuned to feeling such that you're holding it there and not. Um, and, and short-circuiting the tendency to go into the, the uh, attachment, the grasping states that, that are our suffering, is, is really no less 
than, than uh, becoming proficient at um, uh, say, uh, cutting, short-circuiting uh, the, the craving uh, and the um, grasping that the Buddha outlines in Dependent Origination. That it, it, it's, it's the movement of the mind from contact through feeling, through craving and, and clinging and becoming that constitutes our suffering. And, and, you know, we say that feeling holds the key, is the key to liberation, because it's one of the main places where we can cut that whole process. You know, so I don't know about you, but that, that when you start to think about it like that, it really start, gets my attention. <laughs> you know, can I be aware of feeling with this kind of precision? Can I really notice the, the 18 kinds of mental exploration? So I guess we have to ask ourselves, are we noticing enough? Are we catching feeling in a way that is conducive to liberating this mind? And, and uh, highlighting feeling, we, we really do see what it means to be a sentient being. You know, we're, we're sentient beings. <laughs> we're human beings. And uh, we're sentient. And feeling is the player in that whole process. We're, we're living organisms, and uh, what, what we experience from the time we're born to the time we die is a, is a constant um, a pulsing, if you will, uh, of this living organism with feeling. And, and you tune in at this level. I mean, I, I did a retreat one time where that's all I did. I really just zeroed in on feeling and, and tried to become uh, um, very well sensitized to it. And uh, it was really interesting, because in short order, I I had this feeling, this sense of being like a pulsing (laughs) organism walking around this world, kind of like a dish antenna, you know, receiving sensations and um, moving with it. And and it it was interesting, because the the experience of it was like, you know, so you, you, you... come into contact with something that, uh, with which pleasure arises, yeah? And it's like, ah, everything lifts up, the, the sun in the morning, the snow uh, when it's first fall, and you know, the, the smell of your favorite food cooking in the kitchen, you know? Or the, even the, that feeling of that, that comes with having let go of something that you've been grasping so much. Just, ah that wonderful uplifting, you know, and then the, 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 what accompanies uh, pain is kind of like a, you know, it's a, there's a contracting, it's like, yuck, yuck, you know, a, a tightening, a, um, a, a holding uh, uh, against or away from things that, um, uh, we, that, the, that uh, cause some kind of distress to the system. You know, and then the, 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 the experience of neither is, is just kind of like a duh, you know. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. I'm not even noticing anything, you know. And I would watch throughout the, the day. The whole experience was like, ooh, mm, duh, you know. <laughs> ooh, mm, duh. <laughs> it's just going on like that throughout our whole lives. The, the constant movement of, of feeling uh, as, as, at this level. And, and so the, the idea here is that can I see the ah? 
And can I see how it's driving longing? Can I be right there and watch it happen? You know, can I see the uh, and, and see how it's driving aversion? See that that's, that, that's the, the movement of the mind that's behind it all. You know, and can I, can I see the, the duh and, and notice how it's, um, it, it's driving checking out? This is a big, much bigger player than we're aware of. You know, I think that the duh is, is probably most of it. <laughs> You're just numb in a way to life. And so can I just be with all of that and notice it from, from one moment to the another? And, and, and it's important because um, it really isn't until um, we can short-circuit this tendency to move into greed, hatred, and delusion, and this all arising uh, out of not seeing feeling and not being able to stay with it as that much. Um, it's not until we can short-circuit that that the mind is actually um, free enough and, and still enough to you know, witness firsthand the arising and passing of phenomena. And we talk about getting secluded from um, these coarse and difficult mental states. And then the whole reason for it is not just because that's um, a much happier state, but because of what it makes possible. <laughs> you know, as long as we're caught up in it all, you, you just can't see anything. But as we um, liberate ourselves from those uh, highly, highly conditioned tendencies, then, you know, st- from st- just from this posture of standing back, you can see, like, oh, that's how it's happening. And you can see that when there isn't any grasping, um, things are, it's all really just empty phenomena rising and passing away. And, but for the glomming onto it from, and thinking it's me, you know, I would know that and I would be free. So, you know, just some things to think about as you're practicing this week. Um, working to know, be aware of the experience of, of the um, body, the experience of feeling that arises with the, what's going on at the, the five physical sense stores, and, and trying to get our seeing, trying to get the, the, the environment, if you will, the atmosphere of the mind still enough and quiet enough to be able to be right there <laughs> when it's happening, when there's arisings, when there's even, if there's movements of the mind to glom on, it, it, you know, at one level, that has to be okay. It's not the issue. It, it, we want to, the fact that we don't see it is the issue. We want to be able to, to, to see that. So I hope this is, this is helpful. And as I said, we'll pick up, uh, um, uh, look at the rest of this uh, teaching next week. And uh, in the meantime, I, I wish you the, uh, some happiness with your practice. <laughs> Shall we sit for just a moment? Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.